I fought for social justice for many years. It seemed obvious at the time that everyone deserves equal economic, political and social rights and opportunities. Social justice warriors aim to open the doors of access and opportunity for everyone, particularly those in greatest need. What ended participation in the fight for social justice, for me, is that I learned humanity is not a homogenous group. There is no human race to create a social justice agenda for. This changes everything. No one expects humans to look or act like an animal. We are more than our physical appearance. That being said, there are differences between us that would not exist if all humans were one race. The mistake people made was to attach race to skin color. The things that really separate people do not correspond with melanin concentrations or any other physical attribute. Christians have more in common with each other than they do with Muslims, regardless of skin tones. The fact that we are not divided by race based on phenotype does not mean there is one human race. There is a human race in the sense of a people who define themselves by what they look like, but this does not encompass all persons. The so-called human race encompasses the people of the flesh. The people of the spirit are a people set apart. If you wish to think of them as separate from the human race, that is reasonable. We are part of the human species, but not of the human race. The distinction is too significant to be overlooked or passed off as meaningless. The world has fallen in a big way for the concept of social justice. At least the Western world has embraced it. But it could be said that the problem with the idea of social justice is that it is so widely embraced. The social justice movement sees all people as part of one race and therefore part of the same globalist solution. We are not one race and we are each other's problem, not solution. Everyone could not deserve to be treated equally nor could we all have the same rights. It is not morally right, physically possible or rationally justifiable to treat all persons the same or expect them all to end up in the same moral space. Social justice seems a beautiful sentiment for people with no backbone or standards, but it cannot be supported by reason or by the Bible. However, if social justice requires all persons be provided with equal opportunities, can anyone complain when resources are taken from hard-working single mothers to care for deadbeat young men? Serial killers have rights that the parents of young, murdered girls must pay for. But we are not permitted to discriminate based a history of crime. We are not allowed to discern the difference between good and evil. This is because in the world of the flesh there are no answers and no solutions that are quantifiable. Everything is good and acceptable in the sight of evil, unless it opposes the globalist agenda. Science is permitted so long as it stays in its proper area and does not intrude on social issues. Moral justice is quantifiable, it is measurable. The right and wrong of moral justice is measurable. The right is definable. What is right is what can be paid for, at source, at the level of the consumer. Costs are not externalized, they are not globalized. If a cost must be socialized there is something wrong with the purchase. The inability to pay for what you want brings your desire into question. You cannot have what others must pay for. Our purpose as a moral being is to strive towards perfection, a measurable and definable perfection that can be quantified. Perfection is not us being the best we can be according to our own subjective interpretation of what is good. Our fruits are not defined by us, but by others. To be justified in faith our faith must bear fruit. 
We do not throw pearls before swine, meaning we do not waste our time and resources on those who are dead in the flesh. We must quicken the spirit and bring things to their fullness in God. So there is a line we ought not cross and Jesus tells us cannot truly be crossed. The dead and living are in their own realms and any sense that we can communicate with them is an illusion created by Satan. Moral justice requires we divide from the world and cease efforts at social justice. We are to love our enemies, but we are to do works of faith, and these bear fruit as the church. By our works we are known. We build up the faithful or Babylon. There are only two options. There are only two classes of persons we can choose to support. One is the people of the flesh, and the other are those of the spirit. To live in faith is to live in a community of faith defined by the faith we have in one another. It is not possible to live in faith with evil. Therefore, we have to come out of evil if we wish to live in faith. Evil is unpaid costs. It is that simple. Assets are the foundation, the base of our calculation. We add value to assets, or we consume the value. Gold in the ground has no value. Mind it gains value. Refined it gains even greater value and more value is added through its manufacture into coins and other products. But if someone were to take the mined gold and throw it into the ocean, he has not destroyed the asset, but he has lost or destroyed its value. To do good we need to bear fruit, which is the value added to the assets we work with. But this is not a subjective determination. We are not children coloring drawings thinking we are producing art. There must be an accounting or what is called a market determination. The value of our work is determined by the community by means of the market. The church is the adjudicator of our works of faith. The meaning of life is to gain perfection. We are perfectible in faith meaning we can work towards the elimination of social costs. We can cease being a cost to others. This is the process which in the common language is called maturation. But moral justice requires a more refined understanding of costs. There are not just the real costs of stealing and falsification, there are the nominal costs, expressed in laziness and ill-preparedness. Not living up to one's potential is a nominal cost and an evil even if less visible than the more obvious costs of crime. The concept of social justice does not recognize the nature of evil. Social justice does not recognize the need for and the importance of faith. But the two concepts are related. We create costs because we do not trust others. Fear causes us to attempt to protect ourselves from the claims of others. Social justice itself is a product of fear. The fearful try and placate those who they see as representing a threat. Democrats are social justice warriors because they are not warriors of the normal sort. They live in fear, so they constantly attempt to placate the barbarians. One can excuse their patronization in any way one chooses, but the fact remains, fear is the overriding feature in their life. It is a simple thing to condemn those who live in fear and argue we must all live in faith, but that is not going to happen. Overtures to the fearful are seen as an attempt to lull them into a false sense of security. Regardless of what we all feel about the reasons for fear, the fearful will always be with us. There will always be these two groups until Christ himself ends it. Therefore, we cannot embrace a single policy option that is suitable for all persons in all places and times. 
By this we mean policy that suits those who live in faith and policy that suits those who live in fear will always be two different kinds of policy. Fear cannot be placated using the resources of the fearful, or they would have handled their fear and be no longer fearful. This may not be immediately obvious, but destitution creates a lot of risk. The barbarian can be bought off. But if the blackmail puts one into poverty, the fearful have changed one kind of fear for another. The ability to externalize costs was not always available to ancient peoples but we now have many different ways of avoiding paying a cost using our money. This is especially true with social justice warriors. Other people do represent risk. This cannot be denied. The question is what do we do about it? Social justice buys off the barbarian or those whom the liberal fears, but it never totally eliminates risk. But it might be wise to ask just what is it that causes liberals to have so many fears about other people. There is of course the physical danger criminals represent. But this risk or threat is handled through the legal and justice system. So, we will not say much about it here. What we want to discuss more is why people buy insurance and try and avoid working while living in comfort. The idea we can get money to work for us or even other people creates risk for others and some risk even for the beggar. The position of owner is a position of power that helps to protect the elite from the general public. The Bible mentions the accumulation of property as a way to protect against the vagaries of life. But the main issue here is with demanding benefits and rights one cannot pay for. Liberals expect cradle to grave care regardless of their contribution to the public good. In this they represent a risk to the general population. But in their eyes, all persons have equal rights and equal entitlement to the necessities of life. If God exists and has the solutions, and if problems are the creation of humans, then philosophy is man presuming his problems have merit. Philosophy is man assuming the solutions of God can be avoided or suspended and why we cannot solve things the way we want to. If there is a truth it is absolute or there is no truth, only opinion. If there is only opinion, we have to resort to laws to create order. But if there is truth and it is absolute, all the debate and discussion in the world will not change it. It is also apparent that if there is truth, that which is not true, is a lie. There is a line between truth and lies or mankind has lost the ability to reason and the basis on which he makes rational choices. If there is no truth to strive for, there is no direction to our thinking or acting. There is no purpose to our life. We must either assume there is a real and absolute truth or stop discussing right and wrong. All we are left with if there is no truth is risk and the mitigation of risk. But risk itself must always exist since there is no truth that would eradicate it. The truth cannot have risk attacked to it. This is easy to say but can the claim be substantiated? If we link truth to risk and risk with threats of loss, then truth is the state of things where risk has been eliminated. This means all value has been reconciled because risk is always attached to a loss of value. Where there is reconciliation, credits and debits cancel out and there are costs unaccounted for. Truth is a human concept. It pertains to ideas and statements not to the assets created by God, which were created perfect. It is our actions relating to these assets that are evaluated as to their rationality and honesty. Are our actions creating or consuming value that is the question truth asks. So far as liberals are concerned everyone is a potential thief or scam artist. 
Every employee must be watched and whatever records he keeps must be double-checked for honesty and accuracy. The liberal in his fear of the other is forced to create layers upon layers of checks and balances. In the end the question is always who checks the checkers. How can we be sure no one has too much power? These are the questions the founding fathers of the U.S. asked without ever realizing creating too many checks and balances created their own risks. What liberals have rarely noticed is that they create the risk they attempt to defend against. The accumulation of wealth is a response to the risks associated with poverty, but wealth attracts thieves and con men. What ought to have been asked is by what right did we create ownership, instead of asking how to mitigate the risk that ownership causes. No man created the natural world so by what mechanism did some people think they can own it? There is only one way a person can claim ownership of nature, and that is by the law of the brigand and the gangster. Man took what he wanted because there was no one stronger who opposed him. But once assets were acquired, he needed sword and spear to protect these things from rival claimants. Public ownership is man exercising the same territorial imperative exhibited by the beasts. Mostly the area animals claim is akin to what we call personal property. Mankind also has a right to property for personal use. But when we take ownership of waterfalls, forests, and territories large enough for a nation then we run into the problem of legitimacy. We have no right to commercial property whether this is claimed as private ownership or public ownership. To eliminate risk requires we eliminate the fear that creates a need for social justice. We need to eliminate biased claims such as those which form the foundation of social justice payments. We owe no one anything as a class or race. These kinds of claims are shakedowns and constitute little more than blackmail payments. If I take your baseball, you have a legitimate claim on me with a calculatable cost. If my grandfather stole your grandmother's cabbage 50 years ago, the cost is not calculatable, and the cost-benefit calculus has so many qualifiers as to be unmanageable. If damages are to be awarded, we have to calculate the mitigating factors. What did your grandmother do to my grandfather to precipitate the theft or mitigate the original loss? What things did your father do, and my father do to each other to alter the settlement? And we need to establish what issues link me to the event in question. How culpable can the unborn be for an event that preceded their birth or for costs created by events that the accused had no control over? If I am culpable for the acts of my grandfather, every one of us is culpable for every act done either by their ancestors or by anyone in their racial group. Why ought anyone be excluded if one is included? Which, without belaboring the point, means anyone with a one-third of their genome inherited from whites will be responsible for a third portion of everything done by white persons and everyone with a portion of their genome inherited from black ancestors will be responsible for that portion of claims made against blacks. Social justice makes one group responsible for the losses of another group within a specific and tightly defined historic incident without the slightest reason for highlighting and abstracting this event from the timeline of history. Slavery is a perfect example of a narrative being used as evidentiary material. There were black people as culpable as whites for slavery and many that were far less responsible for its elimination at least in the West. Even if but one black person is found culpable for slavery then no white ought to be held liable. Which in any case they are not, because no one can be held responsible for crimes committed by someone else, especially if the crime was committed by someone else, and the accused died before the accused was born. 
Social justice is nothing more than a way to allay the fears of cowards and to buy off a bully. Social justice is actually a way to divert a threat without incurring the cost of allaying the fear oneself. If Group A has a grievance against Group B, and Group B, A, are terrified of the possible repercussions of Group A's anger, then B, A, may well attempt to settle with A by agreeing to pay blackmail levied against B. But social justice is never more than a shakedown of a coward by those who think they can intimidate others. There is nothing in that makes anyone culpable for costs created by ancestors, let alone one's racial group. All claims made outside of the law are not valid. Those who capitulate to social justice claims to pacify the litigants do so out of fear. Social justice suggests the state can be held liable for costs incurred by its subjects if it failed the litigants in some way. If the subject has protection under the law and the law failed in its obligations, then the state is liable to compensate those who suffered a loss due to the state's negligence. This is a different matter as the state has obligations to its citizens. But in these situations, we have to distinguish between what the law allows, permits or necessitates, and who is under the law. The law of the nation applies to subjects. The litigant can only bring actions under the title of a legal identity. The fact is if there is a state, the state is under obligation to the law as a legally constituted agent under in the law. The state is the legal manifestation of social justice. The state exists because fear is the prevailing sentiment in the unbeliever. The state exists to allay the fear of liberals by buying off or otherwise intimidating those who pose a threat to the state or its subjects. The state has nothing to give that it does not take. If a group has been wronged by the state it is the people who must pay. At best the state robs Peter to pay Paul, at worst it robs Peter to pay Peter. But in all cases the law applies only to legal beings or subjects. We have looked at social justice as a claim to capital the litigant has no right to but which litigants back up by threats of violence. Actual violence may be used to take what they feel is theirs by right. The problem is not resolved when the litigant demands the state satisfy the claim, since the state not only has no right to the resources it transfers, it takes these resources from those who are under no moral obligation to satisfy the claim made. There is a move to make it legal to unilaterally resolve a claim through forceful seizure or to make it impossible to charge those engaged in forceful seizure with a crime. This is especially true in California where theft is becoming normalized and legalized. It is true a group might have a legal claim against the state, but legal claims are only valid within the context of the law. The law itself is only valid if the state has the physical means of enforcing the law. The law in fact makes the claim legal. The state is itself a social justice institution created to allay the fear of liberals. It is given the legal authority to resolve legal claims. But it does this only through methods that are costly and illegitimate. We have consistently argued that social justice is a scam. There are no intersectional rights. No group owes any other group anything. But social justice is law-dependent. If the state has no claim on us as individuals or even as citizens, on what basis does it create law and dispense justice? The state exercises the powers of the state as an institution of social justice. Its power to enforce the law gives it the legitimacy it needs to enforce the law. The state threatens its subjects with acts of violence if the subject does not recognize its authority. This is called the social contract. 
the state demands allegiance be given or it forces its authority on the resistant subject. Democracy is the right that confirms one's allegiance to the state. The state is the premier social justice institution, it exists solely to mitigate the risk others represent. Sometimes it bios the threat, other times it nullifies the threat using intimidation and physical restraint. But the state has no resources of its own. Its existence is a threat to the productive sector. But it is a threat the subject hopes can be contained. It's a gamble. The state is a liability to the nation, but the people also represent a liability to each other. So, the state is considered the lesser of two evils and pose the smaller threat. The actions of the state causes division, as the state effectively plays off one group against the other in affecting social justice. In short, social justice destroys humanity by increasing and rewarding division.